right. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, Acts chapter 4. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll begin in Romans 13, and then we'll look at Acts chapter number 4. Let's read verse 8 together. And the purpose of the sermon today is going to really be focused on the back half of this verse, at least conceptually. Read together with me, Romans 13, verse 8. Here we go, ready? Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, turn over to Acts 4. Uh, Romans 13 tells us that we're to owe no man anything. We're to do our very best to stay away from debt. And if you do have debt, make sure you're paying those uh, that uh, up against the terms on time. But as you release yourself from debt, this opens up the opportunity for you to love one another and to love others and fulfill the second greatest commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. Let's look at this in action. Let's look at someone in the Bible who conquered debt had wealth, and used it for the glory of God. We're going to read from verse 32 down through verse number 37. We're going to read this passage responsively. I'll read verse 32 alone. Then we'll read 33 together, and we'll go through that, go, follow that pattern down through the end of the chapter. Verse 32 says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common together. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them. And brought the prices of the things that were sold. And laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Again, we're looking at this series dealing with debt. One more sermon. This will be... my favorite one to preach. I don't like really talking about the causes of debt or dangling dangling you over the captivity of debt, but I do like to talk about what happens when you're debt-free and what you get to do when uh, you have amassed wealth and can use it for the honor and glory of God. Let's look at this title today, The Conquest of Debt. Let's pray. God, help us today as we look at the Bible and its truths. And Lord, talk about the purpose of why you made us And, Lord God, what really does bring us true happiness? Lord God, guide my lips, but, Lord, also move in the hearts. And, Lord, uh, open the ears of those here today. It was said about the Pharisees, they had eyes but couldn't see, and they had ears but couldn't hear. And while they could see and hear the physical, they could not see and hear the spiritual. Help us today, Lord, to be people who not only see and hear the physical, but, Lord, we do so also the spiritual. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Lord God, grant me your wisdom as I preach. May I preach those things that are true. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm big on crowd participation, so don't sit there like a bump on a pickle. Amen? If I ask a question that applies to you, raise your hand. All right. Okay. Have you ever had someone show you a tremendous amount of generosity during a time of great need in your life? If you have, would you raise your hand? You've been in a place of great need and someone showed you a lot of help and love. All right, put your hand down. I'm going to share with you a few of those instances in my life here just to help us understand 
the power that being generous has with it. When I was 18 years old, I was uh, getting ready to go off to study at Bible college where I would prepare to, for church ministry. And I had some church clothes, but I didn't have a lot of church clothes. And I thought I was all set for college, and I had at least enough clothes to get me through each week. And there was a lady in the church uh, who attended there. I didn't really know her very well. In fact, the church I attended uh, at the time ran somewhere between 500 and 700 people. And this lady that attended the church, I knew her name, and I had said hello to her in the hall, but had no real relationship with her. To my knowledge, my parents didn't really have any relationship with her. And uh, I got home from work uh, that afternoon, one Friday afternoon, or I, I believe it was actually Saturday, Saturday afternoon, just a couple of weeks before I was going to head off to college. I was working at Burger King at the time and had worked a, a, a long shift that day and it had been very busy. It was around a, uh, it was it was uh, right there in May and, and, and the phone rang and, and uh, someone said, the house phone rang, someone said, Richard, it's for you. And I came to the phone and it was this lady uh, who I, I had uh, previously mentioned and she said uh, listen I'd like to take you out shopping uh, would you like to go shopping with me now you have to understand that when you're 18 years old anybody over the age of 45 is old and so this old lady is asking me I don't feel that way anymore I'm going to return 40 but uh, um, this old lady is asking me to go shopping with her I'm tired I've worked a, a long day actually had worked a long week and was finishing up my senior year of high school and didn't really want to go and, and so I kind of begrudgingly said sure I'll go with you I didn't know if she was you know, going to buy me a $5 trinket at the mall I didn't know what this was about we got there and she took me into JCPenney and she said pick you out a suit and I picked out a suit. She said, pick you out another one. She said, that one's too cheap. Why don't you get this one over here? She walked me over to the, uh, the coat section. She said, I like this leather coat for you. What Would you like this leather coat? By the time we walked out, she bought me a couple of pair of dress shoes. She bought me a leather coat. She bought me a couple of suits. She spent well over $1,000 on me that day. I came home and I said, this is awesome! Her generosity helped me have even more clothing and uh, be prepared for college. I remember when I got to college, I rolled on the campus with a state-of-the-art, fully specced out Dell laptop computer. And this was 2002, okay? And uh, listen, uh, I'll show you how fast technology has moved. I'd go to class and I'd open up that laptop to take notes. It was me and one other kid in the entire freshman class that brought a laptop to class. Everyone was still taking notes back then, at least at the college I was at, with paper and pen. And uh, people were swarming around me to see my laptop. There was a generous man that attended our church. And when I graduated high school, he said, you know what, I'm going to buy Richard a laptop. So he has that to do his papers on. And take to college. And this man's name is Brent Myers. Brent has been a very near and dear friend to my family. And God has blessed him with wealth. And he has turned around and used that to be a blessing to many others. I'm the oldest of seven children. He would end up buying every one of us a laptop when we graduated from high school. And uh, my uh, younger brothers are 13, twin brothers are 13 years younger than me. Let's just say the laptop they got was a lot better than the laptop I got. Uh, but uh, he'd buy all of them a laptop. In fact, I was down in Maryland just a handful of years ago on my yearly sabbatical and saw him and he took me to the Apple store and he bought me another 
laptop. And this man has just been so generous to me and my family through the years. I remember my senior year of high school, uh, he put me and two of my brothers into his truck. We hauled a trailer down to Orlando, Florida State at a campground, and he paid full expense for us to go to Disney World. And that was the first time I'd ever been to Disney World. I've only been twice, but got to go back in 2002 and experience that and enjoy it and um, uh, make fun of my brother as he wrote, it's a small world after all. Anyway, uh, but uh, had a good time at Disney World. And then uh, 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 just thinking about this man's generosity toward our family, he owned a yacht that he kept in the uh, Baltimore Harbor. And he would take our family out on the yacht. He would take bus kids from our bus ministry out on his yacht, and, and, and he would uh, open it up to uh, uh, Sunday school classes in the church and take them out, and uh, once we did a school fundraiser uh, at another ministry I worked at, we took the winners out on the yacht, and, and he paid for all the fuel and covered all the expenses, and this man's just so generous to open up his wallet and to give and, 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 to, and to love on our family. Um, I, I remember that when I uh, graduated from college, I was getting ready to marry Angela, and we had set a, a wedding date for August. We were going to get married in August, and uh, we uh, we were so in love with each other we couldn't wait. So we moved it up to June, and so. Um, we had set the date for August, and there was a couple there in the church named Jean and Jeanette Kohlberg, and they had a timeshare. And they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to forego taking our timeshare this year. We're going to give you our timeshare for your honeymoon. And so we established the date of the wedding and ended up moving it, but we established the date of the wedding. They signed off on their timeshare to let us stay there uh, that week. And then when we moved the wedding date, they, they couldn't uh, rearrange the timeshare. And so we uh, piecemealed a honeymoon together there in June and then ended up having a second honeymoon at their place in August. And it was great. Uh, but uh, I was just so thankful for uh, the generosity of the Kohlbergs as they gave uh, to us um, in that way. And, and um, I have got to watch as God has just been so generous to me throughout the years. Uh, I remember the, that ministry we got married in and worked in the first two years. Our income was meager. I've shared that. And uh, we ended up in, into some credit card debt. I think uh, after two years of marriage, we had accumulated something like $2,500 in credit card debt. And then we moved to another church in the area where I would begin my pastoral ministry working on a church pastoral staff. Somewhere in the fall, I don't know if it's September or October, on the calendar is Pastoral Appreciation Month. And that church there uh, celebrated Pastoral Appreciation Month in a big way. And they collected an offering there. Again, the church was somewhere around 600 uh, uh, congregants that attended. And they collected a large offering that year. And there were three or four of us on the pastoral staff. So they divided up that offering amongst all of us assistant pastors. And I remember they handed us a Visa gift card with... $2,500 on it, and we were able to pay off our credit card because of the generosity of those people. And I stand up here today telling you that uh, people have been very generous to me throughout my life. Now, each time someone has cracked open their wallet and opened their heart and has given to me out of their generosity, can I tell you how it's made me feel? It's made me feel, one, a little bit guilty that I had to be the recipient and I couldn't be the giver. But the second thing it's done for me is it's made me feel like this. When I get to a place where I'm not straddled by debt and I have money, I want to give to others the way people have given to me. 
I would love one day to be able to give a couple a honeymoon the way I was given one. I would love one day to take a high school kid and buy him a laptop and send him off to college with that laptop. I would love to take a young man or a young lady out with my, a young lady out with my wife and, and buy them a thousand dollars in clothes as they're getting ready to go off into a business career or off to college. And as people have been generous with me, I want one day to be able to generously give to others. But I've had something that's limited me most of my adult life from being generous, and that is a dirty four-letter word called debt. When you are in debt, you can't be generous. You know why you can't be generous with others? Oftentimes we're in debt because our wants outpace reality and we are buying things we can't afford. Here's the reality for many of us, not all of us, but many of us, uh, we can't be generous with others because we've been busy being generous with ourselves. That's what's going on. Now we can't afford to be generous to others. Turn over to Proverbs 14 with me. Proverbs 14. We're going to look at several passages uh, of Scripture this morning. And I want you to hold your place in Proverbs And then I want you to hold your place where we began in Acts 4. And we're going to look at a couple of places here this morning. Proverbs 14. Here's what I want you to know this morning. God made you to give. He made you to be a giver. He did not make you to be a taker. Now, like I said last week, all of us are going to do some taking in life. I shared with you a handful of instances and just a handful of the instances of times where I was the taker and not the giver. But Proverbs tells us this in chapter 14. Uh, Before we read the passage, I want to ask you a question. All right, look up here and then we'll look at the passage. With all these people that gave to me, who was happier? Was I the one that was happier doing the receiving or were they the ones happier that were doing the giving? The ones that did the giving got the greatest blessing out of it, right? Look at Proverbs 14, verse 20. The poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends. How many of you here at some point in your life were poor, and at other times in your life maybe you had a little bit of money, and you realize that your volume of friends flow based on your volume of cash? How many of you know what I'm talking about this morning? All right, uh, Proverbs 14, 20. Look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor... Read the rest of the verse with me. Happy is he. Notice the Bible says that when you have mercy on the poor, that you are happy. God built you to give to the need of your neighbor and show mercy to those that are poor. And when you give to those that are poor, you feel happiness. Now, I love when science catches up with the Bible. In fact, science has been catching up with the Bible over the last several thousand years. And the more we learn about science, the more we realize, hey, the Bible was actually right. But according to a Harvard research project, a national survey in which 632 American men and women were asked how much they made annually, how much they spent each month on bills, expenses, and how much they spent on gifts for themselves, and what they spent monthly on gifts for others. Now listen to this. For people who gave to, uh, people who made donations to others and charities, they found that their level of happiness was far higher than those who did not give. 
Those who gave to a charity and those who gave to others were happier uh, across the board than those who held on to their money and didn't give at all. And so this uh, thought process was put to practice on a college campus. In fact, the people doing this research went to the University of British Columbia and they gave people an envelope with either $5 or $20 in it and they said, you can use this money on yourself to buy a cup of coffee or pay an expense or uh, get yourself something to eat or you can choose to spend the money on someone else. We just want to come back. You just We just want you to come back and answer a couple of questions tomorrow. Spend the money by the end of the day. And so they took those they gave the envelope to and they questioned them. And what they found is that the people that spent the money on themselves were no happier that evening than they were when they got the money. But those that spent the money on others were far happier that evening uh, than those that kept it for themselves. And so yet proving again that when we spend money on others, we are happy. Now, here's what I want to tell you by way of proposition this morning. You've heard it said that money can't buy happiness. We've all heard that, right? Money can't buy happiness. Well, I think money can buy short-term happiness. All right, if I gave you a million dollars and you went out, I don't have a million dollars to give you, amen, but uh, I'm not one of those preachers, all right? But if I gave you a million dollars and and, uh, you, you, you were to take that and you were to blow it on a new home and, you know, maybe you go out and buy a cherry red Stingray Corvette or whatever your dream car is and you go out and upgrade your phone and you know just you just go on a spending spree you're going to be happy for a few days maybe even a few weeks maybe even a few months but can i tell you that that's going to wear off pretty quick you say well then money can't buy happiness but it can you see because if you spend your money on other people that does buy you happiness when you give to others oh let me tell you what when, you have, when you're in a financial place where you have plenty for yourself and you can give to take care of others, you are going to find that money sure can buy you a whole lot of happiness. Listen this morning. God is generous toward you. Isn't He? He's generous toward you. He gives you air to breathe. Aren't you glad that every morning you wake up there's air to breathe? Imagine if he just took all, said, that's my air, and he took it all back. We'd all die, wouldn't we? He gives us air to breathe. He gives us minds to think. Some of us, he gives better minds. Anyway, um, <laughs> someone said, uh, I was just thinking, and that was your first mistake. Uh, so, um, uh, minds to think. He gives us airs to breathe. Uh, aren't you glad for that? Uh, aren't you glad that he gives you strength to go to work and make money? Those are all things that God gives us out of a heart of generosity. Now, um, God is generous to you and He wants you to be generous with others. He who is generous is happy. Alright, if you're writing this down, generous equals happy. Okay? Stingy equals miserable. Say that with me. Ready? Generous equals happy, stingy equals miserable. I've got says my money, don't touch it. I don't know that my kids will remember this, but when my son was three years old, maybe four years old, we were at a store together. It had to have been four, maybe five, but he was very young. We were at a store together, and I reached in my pocket, and I gave my son a $20 bill. 
And I said, this is for you. And April's looking at Matthew's $20 bill. And she's thinking, where's my $20 bill? And I only had one $20 bill. And so April says, Dad. And I said, April, I said, um, ask your brother. And so um, April starts asking Matthew, can you share that with me? Can I have some of that? And I watched as Matthew would not share that $20 bill (laughs) with his sister. And so after watching this play out for a few minutes, I chided Matthew. It was a test on Matthew. I chided Matthew and I said, I've been generous with you. You need to be generous with your sister. Don't you think maybe sometimes that's how God feels? When He gives and gives and gives and gives to us and then we see someone that has a need and we just keep that money right there in our pockets and we won't generously share with others. Um... True happiness is not found in being stingy. True happiness is found in being generous. Let's jump into the message this morning. Let's look at three thoughts out of um, the Bible. As we finish up our series dealing with debt, we're going to consider the title, The Conquest of Debt. All right, point number one. If you're taking notes on the back of your bulletin, there's a fill-in-the-blank outline. Let me encourage you to take notes as you go. Number one, notice our mission to build wealth. Our mission to build wealth. Now, point one will mostly be a recap of things we've already covered this series, so we're going to move quickly through this. Letter A. Notice, to build wealth, you you need God's wisdom. You need God's wisdom. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 8 with me, if you will. Proverbs chapter 8. In this chapter, Solomon tells us everything that wisdom has to offer those who pursue it. Now, you may remember that way back in the beginning of King Solomon's reign, he, uh, he, he went to a place of sacrifice and he got on his face before God and he said, I am but a child. I know not how to go out or come into my own palace. I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, Lord, I need your help. And God came to him and said, he said, ask of me anything and I'll give it to you. And uh, he gave him a blank check and said, whatever you want, Solomon, it's yours. And Solomon did not ask for money. He did not ask for a long life. Instead, Solomon asked for an understanding heart, and God gave him great wisdom. And in that wisdom, he found a long life, and he found wealth. Look at Proverbs 8, and Solomon's going to tell us the importance of wisdom. Look at verse 1. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of high places, by the way, in the place of the paths. Now, on down through chapter 8, Solomon is going to highlight for us all of the things that wisdom offers us when we find it and uh, when we embrace it. Look down at verse 17. Here wisdom is speaking in the first tense. The Bible says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Look here. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. This is not speaking about metaphorical riches. This is speaking about money. This is speaking about wealth. The Bible says that in order to obtain wealth that is durable, you're going to need God's wisdom to accrue that and hold on to it. So, to build wealth, you need God's wisdom. Letter B, notice, to build wealth, you need a strong work ethic. You need a strong work ethic. Turn over with me to Proverbs chapter 24. 
Proverbs 24. And again, these are all truths we've looked at already this series, but it helps set the stage for the rest of the message. Proverbs 24 and verse number 30. Um, there's a lot of people who will get on their face and ask God for His wisdom, but they're lazy. They're not willing to get up and go to work. Look at verse 30. I went by the field of the slothful. And by the vineyard of the man, void of understanding. So, instead of this man having wisdom and a work ethic, he is lazy and he is uh, foolish. He lacks understanding. 31, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction, yea, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. Solomon says, I went out for a walk, and I saw a field that was just all overgrown, and the grass was really tall, and thorns were choking out this vineyard, and uh, there were nettles that had covered the ground. And he said, I saw a man leaning up against a tree with his hat pulled down over his head, if you will, and his hands folded across his chest, and there he was sleeping instead of taking care of the vineyard and pulling the weeds and putting in the sweat equity to get wealth. This man was lazy and in, in essence, because of his laziness, he was also poor. He was broke. And this man lacked a work ethic. Let me just say to you today that people who are lazy, they're looking for a get-rich-quick scheme. They're looking for some way to fall into money really fast. And the Bible tells us that here that you get wealth by working hard. In fact, there's no quick way to wealth, really. Uh, not sustainable wealth. The best way to get wealth is to work hard. So to build wealth, you need God's wisdom. To build wealth, you need a strong work ethic. Letter C, to build wealth, you need self-discipline. Self-discipline. Go over to Proverbs chapter 10 in your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 4. Proverbs 10 and verse number 4. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 4. We highlighted this verse in great detail last week. We're going to hit it quickly here. Notice the Bible says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. So there are people that have a whole lot of income. I mean, they've got a good job. They may even be making like the average household income in Stratford. They might even have a household income of $100,000 a year or greater, but they're constantly broke. Why? Because they're dealing with a slack hand. The money comes in and it goes right back out. They It comes in and they're out at a restaurant. It comes in and they're at a department store buying new clothes. It comes in and it's out uh, with this activity or this vacation or uh, this uh, 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 prize. And, 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 and listen, uh, uh, we're dealing with a slack hand. There's no orderliness to how we're spending money as opposed to the hand of the diligent make rich. Instead of being told what to do by our base desires, we are in charge of our money and we're telling every dollar where it's going to go and what it's going to do. We're diligent and in our diligence, we have self-discipline to make rich. Below that uh, uh, self-discipline, I want you to write these two letters down. Just two letters and only two letters. Here they are. They're the letters N-O. You need to learn 
how to tell yourself no. Alright? Um, I have fun with it. Right? My kids come to me and say, can we go out to eat? No. Can I have money? No. Can we go to the mall? No. I actually took them to the mall yesterday, but we didn't buy anything. Amen? Um, no. 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 And you know what? In Spanish, the word no is no. <laughs> Which language would you like it in? All right? But I don't even need to be good. I don't need to necessarily be good at telling my kids no. I need to be good at telling myself no. Hey, guys. I'm speaking to the men here. Every time you drive past a 7-Eleven or Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's, you don't have to stop. Just because your car left the house doesn't mean you've got to buy yourself something to eat. Doesn't mean you have to. Hey, I've got to get this in. I just, it's low-hanging fruit. I've got to get this in here. I know they opened a Starbucks around the corner. We have coffee that's free right here in our lobby. Amen? And, um, and we oftentimes use grounds that are as good or better. You say, no, they don't. It's not the experience. Maybe not, but it's six bucks cheaper. Amen? <laughs> but I'm not going to get my stars. I need my stars. Why do you need your stars? Amen? It's not Starbucks anyway. I nicknamed it five bucks because it's going to cost you at least five bucks to get out of there. All right? Uh, self-discipline. Learn how to say no. Our mission to build wealth. Number two, notice our motive to build wealth. Our motive to build wealth. Now, the sermon to this point may just sound like Pastor Lejeune wants you to prioritize earning money and being wealthy above all else. This, listen to me, this is not at all the heart of this sermon or this series. I don't want you to prioritize wealth. I spent a lot of time last week talking about how the love of money is the root of all evil and that money is not meant for us to become wealthy uh, so that we can wear Rolexes and drive fancy cars and live in big houses and wear designer clothes. That's not the purpose of wealth. The purpose of wealth is so that we can be a blessing to others and we can give generously. Now, uh, we're to use uh, the tool of money to generously love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. I wish you would have just added it in there and all our money. Amen. Uh, Thrown that one in there. And then to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we're to use money to accomplish those two great purposes. So if uh, let me ask you this morning, if you were given a million dollars today, what would you do with it? What would you do with it? If God gave you, you, you came into a million dollars, your, uh, your great Aunt Ruth, twice removed on your mother's side who you'd never met, died and left you a million dollars, what would you do with it? Would you spend it all on you? Can I tell you what you do with it? You do with it what you normally do with your income. Because if you're not giving to others in your poverty, you're not going to give to others in your wealth. Generosity is not a matter of being wealthy. Generosity is a condition of the heart. You understand that? What would be your motives in accumulating great wealth? Again, I've highlighted this, but we live in a culture, the American culture. The, the American dream is grow up, 
get a, a career, uh, establish yourself, uh, build great wealth, and success is defined in our culture by dollars and cents and overall wealth. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what is your motive? Letter A, notice, some have an attitude of selfishness. Turn over to Acts chapter 5. Back in Acts 4, we find the story of the very first church there in Jerusalem. Jesus had died right outside of town. He had been buried. He had risen from the dead. He had commissioned the disciples uh, to go first to Jerusalem. He had ascended to heaven. The disciples began to preach the message of the resurrected Christ all over Jerusalem. A massive church uh, a swole up in attendance. And uh, uh, people of all sorts of diversity began to attend the church. And when I say diversity, I mean wealth diversity. There were people who were very rich that attended this church, and there were people who were very poor that attended this church. And out of a heart of generosity, many of the wealthy began to sell plots of land and give the entire amount to the church for the distribution of those uh, 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 who were poor in the church to be able to uh, pay their way. Then we get to Acts 5, and we see that not everyone can handle wealth properly. Ananias and Sapphira would look at wealth through a very selfish lens. Look at Acts 5, look at verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And to keep back part of the price of the land. Now, look very carefully what Peter says here to Ananias. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Was it not in thine own power, rather? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Let me explain the passage. You had people who were selling their properties. They had extra property. They're selling their properties. And in these real estate dealings, they're taking the entirety of the sale and they're giving it to the church. And the church is taking this money and distributing it out amongst the poor there in the church. And these people who are doing this, they're getting a, quite a bit of clout. And so you have Brother Stevie over here and Brother uh, Joseph over here. And you got Brother Bob over there. And you got Sister um, uh, uh, Corrine over here. Corrine's not, she was at the early service. I'm just picking names out of a hat here. And uh, they all have property, and they're selling their property, and they're giving the wealth, and word is getting around the church that these people are doing this, and now all of a sudden these people have clout at the church. They're the big donors at the church. And boy, these people are a big deal down at the church house. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they want that fame. And so they have a piece of property. They sell the property and they take the money and they say, you know what? We don't want to give it all to the church. We want to keep this portion for ourselves. Now, church, was there anything sinful with them keeping a portion of the money for themselves? No. It was their money. They had every right to sell the property, hold on to the property. They had every right to give, give all of the money or give some of the money or just give a couple of dollars. But here's what they did. They kept a portion of the money and then lied and said they had given all of the money to the church. 
And so Ananias comes walking in looking for his fame. You see, he wanted the best of both worlds. He wanted to have his money and he wanted the fame as though he had given it all. And, Anna, and Peter looks at Ananias and says, is this all the money? And Ananias says, it sure is. And Peter says, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost kills Ananias on the spot. He dropped dead in the building. They, you can read the passage on your own. They pick him up, take him out back to the church cemetery, and they bury him. He was the first one in the cemetery. It was a brand new church. Sapphira comes walking in. Now, there's no social media. There's no phones. There's no texting. She has no idea what's going on. She walks in a couple hours later, and Peter asks her the same question, and she lies, and she drops dead on the spot. Now, what was the problem with Ananias and Sapphira? Here's the problem. They were selfish with their money. They wanted to hold on to their money, but have the fame as though they were selfless and giving it all away. Now, oftentimes we want money for our own selfish reasons. We want to be generous with ourselves. But we do not want to give to the needs of others, nor do we want to give toward the overall mission of the kingdom of heaven through the local church. This attitude sees money. Listen up now, and if you're not mature in the Lord, this is going to sound strange to you. If you're new to church, this concept might seem weird to you. But this is not what I'm saying. This is what the Word of God teaches. The problem with money is that we see it as being mine, or you see it as being yours. Here's the reality. All of the money sitting in my bank accounts right now, and all of the money I have in a retirement fund right now, that money is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. I am His money manager. And herein lies the problem. When we see it as being mine, then we take ownership of it and we try to control it. When we see it as being the Lord's, then we say, Lord, if it's yours, I'm going to be obedient to you. An attitude of selfishness, let her be an attitude of stewardship. Stewardship. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The the earth is the Lord's, And the fullness thereof. Everything that we have belongs to the Lord. Everything. Uh, The Lord Lord has it all. You say, uh, no, that money is not uh, the Lord's. It's mine. I earned it. I would say, who gave you the strength to earn it? The Lord did. You say, that money's not the Lord's. It's mine. You watch how quickly the Lord can take that money away from you. There was a season in my life where I was being very stingy. And I was not giving to the church in part because I just didn't have a lot of money. In fact, this is while I was in Bible college. And here I am in Bible college studying for ministry, and I'm not really giving any money to the church. I had money to buy uh, 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 nachos and cheese uh, at the gas station on the way to work. And I was a college kid. Be nice to me. I had money to buy uh, sodas, and I had money to buy Whoppers at Burger King, but I didn't have any money to give into the plate at the church. And so I had gone some time without tithing, and I got uh, pulled over for speeding on the way home from church going to the college, and I got the ticket, and the ticket was the exact same amount as a tithe of my last paycheck, down to the penny. You think that God was trying to maybe get my attention a little bit? That's not yours, it's the Lord's. When I looked at the ticket and I saw it was exactly one-tenth of my last paycheck, I said, yeah, that's not an accident. It's not an accident. It belongs to the Lord. Now look at Acts 4. Look at verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, 
a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. What an act of generosity. What an act of generosity. Can you imagine someone taking their property and selling it, and giving the entirety of that to the church for the purpose of helping the poor. Uh, uh, that word consolation means encouragement. Uh, Barnabas, is, uh, Joseph's name was changed to mean encourager, encourager, son of encouragement, son of consolation. He was generous with his money. He was generous with his money. We've already highlighted that. Notice next, he was generous with his influence. He took Saul after Saul had spent three and a half years with the Lord and had been saved and had his name changed to Paul. And Saul had persecuted the church in Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem wanted nothing to do with him. But now Paul was a changed man and uh, Paul uh, was not being accepted by the church of Jerusalem. Barnabas accepted Paul when no one else would and brought him in and got him to meet Peter. And there were inroads made there with Peter. And then Paul would go on back home to Tarsus and would sit on the sidelines of ministry, if you will. Barnabas would be sent up to pastor the church in the city of Antioch. And Barnabas would go get Paul out of Tarsus and bring him in and have him help him co-pastor the church in Antioch. And half of the New Testament was written because Barnabas was a generous man. He was generous with his money. He was generous with his influence. He was generous with his church ministry. And as a result, you and I are indirectly blessed by that. So I want to ask you a question this morning. How do you view money? Do you view money as being yours? Or do you view money as being God's, being given to you to steward? We see our mission to build wealth, our motive in building wealth. And really, every sermon has something aimed at your heart. And point three is going to be an incentive on you to give. But before I get into point three, I just want to take a moment and ask you to look up here at me. What is your motive? Because only you and God know what's in your heart. You hear of a need. Is your reflex to hold back? Or is your reflex to give out? What is our instinct? What is our behavior? What is our motive? Number three, lastly, notice our merit. Our merit in giving wealth. Now, that word merit just simply means reward. What do you get back when you give to others? Well, I want to spend a little bit of time on this here. And uh, I've got five things that you get out of giving. All right? Letter A, notice, giving makes us feel happy. Giving makes us feel happy. When we give to others, it makes us feel happy. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9, please, if you don't mind, turn over there. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9 for uh, quite a bit of this uh, point here. So turn over there, 2 Corinthians 9. I'm at a place in my life where um, I like the Christmas holiday season less and less and less. Um, I, I love to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I do. I'm thankful for the incarnate Christ that came down to be born amongst us. But I don't enjoy the commercialization of Christmas. I feel as though our capitalistic system has hijacked one of the most sacred celebrations. And 
just turned it into a giant money-making scheme. Um, it's only August, but within the next six weeks, you're going to start seeing Christmas trees out. Every year they get earlier and earlier, putting them out in Lowe's and Home Depot. And they're just itching to get in our wallets and make that money. And, and um, uh, you know, come Christmas morning, the only, the only saving grace for me with, with Christmas is the joy of giving to others. That's it. Getting to see others receive of my generosity. And if there's one silver lining in the cloud of the commercialization of the birth of Christ is that it does teach us to be generous toward others. It doesn't teach our kids to be generous toward others. It teaches our kids to be spoiled brats. Amen. But it teaches us to be generous toward others. And um, uh, Christmas, rather, Christmas ought to be a time where you give and are more concerned about giving than getting. Can I speak to the teenagers and the children that might be in the room here for a moment? This Christmas holiday, be less concerned about your Amazon wish list and what you're going to have under the tree, and be more concerned about how you can give to others. It's only August. Why don't you get creative and find a way to earn some income? Ask your parents if you can do some extra chores. And uh, get some cash in your pocket, not so you can go buy bubble gum or, or soda or bag of chips, but so that you can take that money and, and spend it on others. Learn to give, not just get. And all the parents said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Proverbs 14.21 again says, But he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. God promises happiness when we give. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 6. For this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity. Finish the verse with me. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. May abound, may abound to every good work. And I want to abound when I abound, that means success. I'm happy. Now, um, my father uh, was an assistant pastor for many years in the various churches that I was a part of as a child. And uh, in a handful of the churches, they asked him to uh, get up and, and give the announcements and then invite the ushers forward before the time of collecting the offering. And my dad would have a challenge to the church on how they should give to the Lord. And I heard him offer this challenge a handful of times. He would read Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where it says, For God loveth a church. Giver, And he would tell the church, and rightfully so, that the word cheerful there comes from the same root Greek word that means, in our English language, hilarious. God loveth a hilarious giver. And he said there that you ought to be so filled with joy in giving your offering to the Lord that you just smile at it. You might even break out in a little bit of laughter. Amen? Uh, how many of you went to a Pentecostal church and had a laughing fit? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Laughing fit. You all, of course not. You're a bunch of dead Baptists. So of course you don't. Amen? Uh, can I insult my own audience? I don't know, but I just did. So, uh, But uh, here we are, right? Giving giving to the Lord. And we're not to grit our teeth and uh, drop it, uh, give it to the Lord. I, I'm just doing it. God, I'll, no, we ought to give 
cheerfully. It ought to be a thing of worship where we're giving out of a heart of love. You've heard it said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love. You will not love without giving. If you love, you're going to give and give and give and give because your giving comes from a place of love and happiness. And here's how this works. As I find joy, I give. And as I give, I find more joy. And in my more joy, I give. And then I get more joy. And what a wonderful cycle to be on. And so letter A, we see giving makes us feel happy. Letter B, giving is good for your health. Giving is good for your health. Look at verse number 6. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he that soweth, he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Many people think this verse is some kind of promise about a long-term financial investment. And while there may be some truth to God giving back financially as you give to others, God is able to give back to you in more ways than just money. We're going to get to heaven and find out how many health episodes we avoided because we were generous to the Lord. We're going to get to heaven and find out how many car accidents we missed because we were generous in giving to the Lord. I believe that sometimes God's way of blessing us is that He might extend our life a little bit longer and give us a quality of life just a little bit longer. And and I believe that God has built this into the very fabric of who we are. A 2003 study done with elderly couples showed those who provided practical help or emotional support to friends, relatives, spouses, or neighbors had a much lower risk of dying over a five-year span than those who did not. In fact, those who received help had no uh, continuance or longevity of life. But those who gave the help, their life uh, looked to uh, be uh, 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 made longer. There was a, a longevity in years because they were busy investing in others. God has built us to give, and when we do, there are health benefits as a result. Why should you give? Why should you be generous? Because being generous makes you happy. Giving gives you good health. Letter C, giving becomes circular. Giving becomes circular. Look with me at Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Luke 6, if you could turn over there. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Now, in full disclosure, this verse is not talking about money. In context, it's talking about mercy and being merciful to others. And But I do believe there's a financial aspect or can be a financial aspect to mercy, and you can give out of mercy to those who are in need. Look at Luke 6. Look at verse 38. Everybody there? All right. The Bible says, what's that first word? Oh, give. There it is. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Give, look here, and it shall be given unto you. Now, if that's where the verse stopped, that's a pretty good deal. Brother Adolfo over here gives me $10, and then Brother Okai gives him $10. And you know what? We all come out even, except I come out ahead. Amen. Uh, but uh, 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 listen, uh, if you're giving and uh, someone's giving back to you, then you know what? You get the happiness and health benefits of giving and you get back. But that's not where the verse stops. Look here. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, 
and shaking together and running over shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that ye meet with all it shall be given to you again and i've got a great illustration for this um, our church had a, a a mystery date night activity uh this past uh, friday and we uh, had a bunch of married couples show up to the church and we climbed aboard a school bus and we went to a mystery location. You say, where did you go? We went to the Wild Kanji in Shelton on Bridgeport Ave. We went to a hibachi place where they cooked the food right in front of you. Let me tell you, it was wild. I don't know who the table was sitting behind me, but they were out of control, okay? They were just having a great time back there, laughing and, and having fun. There were things that happened there that night. We're just not going to talk about, Brother Nino, amen? What happens at the kanji stays at the kanji, amen? Uh, but uh, we had a good time there. And uh, listen, uh, I will share one thing that happened that was great. While I'm sitting there getting ready uh, to order my meal, someone walked up and dropped a crinkled up $50 bill in my lap and walked away. And I looked around, I thought, what is this? Who did this? And, and um, I had that in my pocket and uh, rather in my hand. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pass this blessing along to someone else. So um, we paid for the people sitting next to us. We paid for their meal. And then I found out later, the guy that gave me the money, that the people sitting next to them paid for their meal. You see how this generosity becomes circular. You, you're generous to someone and someone else is generous to you, but when you're a miser, you're gripping that money. We all know the story of the Christmas carol. And remember Tiny Tim who is walking with a crutch and sick and his dad couldn't pay the bills and they were going to have to go hungry that Christmas. And uh, uh, there is Mr. Scrooge, the antagonist of the story, who is gripping hard the money and, and, and he's wealthy, but he's mean and he's got no friends in town and he's visited by the various uh, 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 beings there and he wakes up the next morning and he has a generous heart and as a result, he is happy and his health is better. And uh, guess what? This circular uh, generosity, this generosity, Generosity becomes circular and we give to others. Letter D, uh, giving evokes gratitude. Giving evokes gratitude. Look with me at Acts chapter 4, verse 35. We're going to wrap it up here. Just two more uh, thoughts here. Uh, look at verse 35, Acts 4. And laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he has had need. Now, I don't mean to undermine those who are poor in our country. Because there is real poverty in America. But I think that oftentimes in our middle class lives, because I'd say the majority of us in here are middle class or up, or we live like we're middle class and we're in debt because <laughs> we can't afford it. Um, I think we fail to understand what kind of poverty they're dealing with here in the book of Acts. They didn't have the modern luxuries of today, and they didn't have the welfare programs that we have today. In fact, they were under Roman rule. They're under Roman rule. So you had those who were very rich, and then you had those that were very, very poor. I want you to imagine that you're going to this church and you've given your heart to Jesus to be saved, but you have nothing in your cupboards to feed your family. And you have a leak in your roof, and every time it rains, water comes pouring into your child's bedroom. And maybe you, your kid's sandals are two sizes too small, and 
The kids are walking around barefoot. And in comes Brother Barnabas with a million dollars and lays it at the apostles' feet. And the apostles are now distributing this to people in need. Can you imagine the joy and the gratitude that would be in your heart as you went and got some food to put in your cupboard? Or you had a roofer come over and repair that hole? Or, or, or you had a, a pair of sandals that were bought for your child? Who could, can you imagine the, the flow of gratitude that must have been in that church? You see, when we're stingy, we cut off gratitude. But when we're generous, we give people plenty of reason to be thankful. Letter E, notice, giving becomes contagious. Giving becomes contagious. Look with me at Acts 4. Look at verse 34. I want everybody to see this. I'll give you a moment to write that down. Look at verse 34. Let's read it together. Can we do that? Everybody have your Bibles? Are you ready? Here we go. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold. That is amazing to me. I don't know who in our church has wealth. I don't poke around. I don't want to know those things. And if you're here visiting today, I don't know who gives what at our church. I know what I give. That's all I know about the giving of our church. I don't really want to know who gives what. I want that to be between you and the Lord. But can I just say that this was amazing. Here you have a man who says, I see folks in need and I have this property sitting here not doing anything. And he sells the property and he brings the money in. And someone else goes, you know what? We've got property. I think we could do that. And they go out and sell their property. And here you have someone who would have never even thought to do it, never would have even considered it. And now as this momentum is building and this being generous is becoming more and more contagious, more people are selling extra properties and giving to the those that are in need. And now everyone in the church has their need met because generosity is contagious. Back in 1988, Pastor Brown went to the bank asking for a loan to buy this current property that we sit on. The church, at its inception in 1980, had immediately begun a building fund. And they had saved up a little over $100,000 which back in 1980, between 80 and 88, was uh, quite a bit more than it would be today. But this property was going to be a lot more than the $100,000. And so he goes to the bank looking for a loan, but the church did not have the history the bank desired in order to be given the loan. And so uh, they were at an impasse. They were meeting in a business institute building, and they did not have the money, nor did they have a, enough history in order to take out the loan. And so... If I have the story right, Mr. and Mrs. Peck went to Pastor Pesla, or rather Pastor Brown, and they said we would be willing to put our house down as collateral so that the church can take out the loan and buy the property. And when they did that, now I want to ask you a question. Would you be willing to put your house on the line? You understand what this meant. If the church did not make its payment and defaulted on their loan, the bank was going to come take their house. Would you be willing to put your house on the line for a church to buy a building? And after the Pecks signed on, another couple signed on. And then another couple signed on. And then another couple put their house down. Nobody lost their house 
but I believe it was five or six families that laid their house down and were willing to lose it in order to make sure that we were able to have this property today. Hey, you and I are the recipient of the generosity of the past generation who gave up their own were willing to do so so that we could sit on this property and have church today. You know what they're going to reap in heaven? They're going to reap the rewards for all of eternity of every soul that is saved on this property because they did that. Giving becomes contagious. We've been on this property now for 34 years. Thousands of people have been saved, baptized, and discipled. They're not all here. Many of them have moved on to other places, but thousands of people have heard the gospel and have been saved on this property. Why should you get rid of debt and build wealth? So that you can give like no one else. So that you can be generous with the excess that God has provided. So that you can feel the full weight of God's blessings being poured down on your life. Why don't you search your heart this morning and ask God to reveal to you where maybe your motives when it comes to money are wrong. Why don't you tell the Lord that if He'll prosper you with a, with a, with a raise at work, or uh, He'll bring money your way, that you'll use that to first get out of debt, and then uh, build into wealth so that you can be generous with, the wealth, with your wealth by giving to God's kingdom and those in great need. And let me just say this lastly. You must not wait until you're out of debt before you become generous. You begin by becoming generous now, and then that will help you to grow and grow and grow. I want to remind you that God is generous with you every day. Are you generous with others? If you choose to be generous, then the floodgates of joy and happiness will swing open, and you can know what it's like to experience the full measure of the blessings of God. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life where I took advantage of the greatest gift of generosity that the Lord offers, and I put my faith and trust in Christ alone to be my Savior. I'm thankful for His generosity with the life of Christ on the cross. and He died in my place. He rose from the dead. And I have put my faith and trust in Him alone. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because of Jesus and His grace and my acceptance of that great gift. If that's your testimony, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I know I'm going to heaven. I've given my heart to Christ. You can put your hands down. There were some of you in here, in fact, there were quite a few of you in here that did not raise your hand. And if you did not raise your hand because you don't know you're going to heaven, let me just say thank you for being honest with yourself first, but also with the Lord. I don't want to put any unnecessary pressure on you, and I definitely do not want to hear me now. I don't want to embarrass anybody in this room. That's why everyone's heads are to be bowed and eyes are to be closed. But if you're here today and you don't know you're going to heaven, I want to pray for you. I will not call out your name. I will not call any unnecessary attention your way. But in the privacy of the moment, I want to pray for you. If you do not know where you would spend eternity when you die, Would you just raise your hand right where you're at? Just hold up your hand. You say, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I'm not going to call you out. I'm just going to pray for you. Is there one here? I just don't know. I don't know. 
I hope no hands were raised. I hope that means that everyone here is going to go to heaven when they die. But some of you didn't raise your hand to either question. If you don't know where you'd spend eternity, please see me after the service. I'd love to help you to get that matter settled. I'd love to show you what the Bible says. How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I, through the sermon this morning, have heard the importance of getting out of debt so I can be generous toward others? You may or may not have wealth right now, but how many of you would say, Pastor Lejeune, pray that God would help me to be generous with others? Here's my hand. Pray that God would help me to do more, to be generous in how I help others and give toward others. That I would not be selfish with money, that I would be selfless. I would be a steward of what I have. Lord God, would you help us this morning? Work in our hearts. Show us, Lord God, what's right and true. And Lord God, help us to be men and women who are stewards and we're not selfish. Help our motives to be right. Lord God, work in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.